hello everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and you've tuned into Rediscovering New York. I'm a real estate broker with Halstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a show about the history, texture, and current vibe of our amazing city. On most programs, like this evening's, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood, exploring its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, and other neighborhood personalities, including local musicians and artists. Sometimes I host a show about an interesting and vital color of the city that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. In prior episodes, we've covered things like a history of U.S. presidents who came or who lived in New York, the history of the women's suffrage movement in New York, the history of Irish immigrants who came to our city. We had some special episodes during Stonewall 50 about the city's LGBT history. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling, and I've also hosted shows on the history of punk and opera in the city. They were separate shows, obviously, not together. In the future, we may journey to some of the city's parks or the subway or the city in the age of a particular social or political movement. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. And tonight, we are journeying to one of the oldest places in New York and in Queens, the neighborhood of Flushing, which also used to be its own town. Our first guest is Jeffrey Kressler. Uh, Dr. Kressler is an associate professor in the Lloyd Seeley Library at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He received a BA from Hobart College, his PhD from the CUNY Graduate School, and an MLS from Queens College. At John Jay, he has compiled Justice in New York in Oral History with interviews of 40 leaders in the field. At the College of Staten Island, Jeff compiled 10 volumes of oral history interviews covering political issues and individuals. He is the author of Greater New York Sports Chronology, New York Year by Year, a Chronology of the Great Metropolis, Historic Preservation in Queens, and Lighting the Way, a Centennial History of the Queens Borough Public Library. He's contributed to the Encyclopedia of New York City, the Encyclopedia of New York State, and Robert Moses in the Modern City, The Transformation of New York. He's published articles on New York history and Journal of Planning, History, New York History, and Long Island History Journal. What an exhaustive list. Jeff has been active in historic preservation since the 1980s with the Historic Districts Council, of which I'm a member, by the way, the City Club of New York, and the Municipal Arts Society. Jeff Kessler, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Are you originally from New York? No, I was born in Brooklyn. Oh. <laughs> City of Brooklyn. Well, that's part of New York now, but uh, I'm native Brooklyn myself. Uh, sometimes we think of ourselves as a separate town, a separate city. Um, how did you go into the field of history? What, what inspired you to do that? Is it peculiar to say I was born a history person? I mean, some people have an affinity for thinking historically and finding the past fascinating and important. Other people don't, and I guess I fall into the former category my whole life. Well, I can certainly relate to that being uh, a student of history myself and loving it ever since I was really, really young. Um, how did you get interested in the history of Queens specifically? The advice you give a graduate student is uh, look for a top look for a topic that is seeking its historian. And although there was a lot of local history, particular history written about Queens, there hadn't been a an effort for a comprehensive history of Queens in recent decades. So that's why I picked up Queens. And it's always inspiring for having studied history myself to pick something that there's not a lot of historiography on and that there's uh, uh, a um, uh, fertile ground to, to uh, discover things and to, and to illuminate people in ways that other people in the field haven't done. Um, before the show, we talked about the history of Flushing, and um, you very interestingly uh, said that there were four major periods in the history of Flushing. What, what were those? Well, Flushing is one of the oldest places in New York City. It dates back to New Netherlands, uh, governed by New Amsterdam, Peter Stuyvesant, and so forth. But uh, the interesting thing is Flushing, like Jamaica, had been settled by English colonists under the Dutch control. And so the early part of 
the early part of uh, Flushing's history is really the development of a new community by the English. Uh, and once the English took over from the Dutch and turned New Amsterdam into New York, it was part of the uh, County of Queens. And the uh, period I'm talking about goes really into the early 19th century because it's still a rural community, an agricultural community, somewhat isolated because you can't really get from Flushing to New York in a timely fashion. The best way, actually, was taking a boat <laughs> from Flushing Harbor into Manhattan Harbor, and you can imagine uh, how long that took. Uh, so that is the early history of Flushing. Uh, the first major change and the second period begins with the arrival of the Long Island Railroad and assorted other railroads uh, in the 1840s and 50s. And when that comes, that's when you get the first suburban characteristics of Flushing, the single-family homes, the majestic estates, and uh, families with uh, homeowners who could live in Flushing and work in Manhattan. So you have a, a commuter kind of uh, community growing up. Uh, that lasted until the, uh, until the uh, town of Flushing became part of the city of New York. And I would say when Queens became part of the city of New York in 1898, that begins the third transformation of Flushing. That's when you have major transportation links, trolley lines, the Queensboro Bridge making it easy to get in, and finally the subway that arrives in 1917. And so the arrival of the subway means we have increasing land values and we can put apartment buildings where we had single-family homes. And then you have from the 1920s into the 1960s, what you have is this period of urbanization. You're taking this, first you have a small town, then you have a suburban community. Now you have an urban setting for the first time. And finally, the fourth period begins with the uh, Immigration Reform Act of the 1960s, which reopens the golden door. And once that happens, Flushing begins a transformation and attracts Asians from around Asia. Mm -hmm. um, well, going back to the history of the Dutch, why was it uh, Flushing originally was uh, a Dutch settlement, but what was it, unlike New Amsterdam and unlike New Harlem and uh, maybe New Utrecht and Breukelen, uh, which uh, now Brooklyn Heights and downtown Brooklyn, what was it about that part of New Netherland that attracted a lot of English settlers before uh, the English took over uh, the area in 1664? Well, in the first place, uh, you didn't have enough Dutch to populate every place. And so when they arrived, they asked for permission to settle within New Netherland. And so they arrived, yes, we recognize the authority of the Dutch, but really we're English. And that's when they started asserting their own traditions and especially their own religious values. Mm. Because in New Amsterdam... Uh, the official religion was the Dutch Reformed Church, the very strict Calvinist practices. And they threw out the Lutherans, they would throw out Catholics, anyone else, they threw out as many Jews as they could find. Uh, and so what you have is a uh, community that is trying to be a religious monoculture, but New York, New Amsterdam even then fought against that. And what you had is English settlers asserting their right to religious freedom the way they wanted. Hmm. Who was John Bowne? John Bowne was a man who married a Quaker. He married a Quaker woman and he settled in Flushing. And he uh, permitted the Quakers to he permitted the Quakers to worship in his house. His house still exists. It dates from 1661. It is a shrine to religious freedom. Still, it's literally a shrine to religious freedom. And isn't it, isn't it the is it the oldest house in Queens too, the John Bowne House? Yes, yes. I'm I'm going out on a limb there. If there's an older <laughs> one, please let me know. Uh, but 1661 is pretty early. Uh, when the Dutch authorities, Peter Stuyvesant, heard that they were 
allowing Quakers to worship, he said, no, you can't. And the English, John Bounds said, yes, we can. And uh, in retaliation, Baum was arrested and put on the first ship with no money, no nothing, back to the Netherlands, uh, where he had to make his way to the uh, Dutch West India Company and said, let me know, can I worship with the way I want? And they said, yeah, of course you can. What's Stuyvesant doing? And so he then took a trip back, went back and said, Mr. Stuyvesant, I'm allowed to worship the way we want. When was the Flushing Remonstrance drafted and how did that figure into uh, religious freedom? That was a little earlier and that was the same issue where Peter Stuyvesant demanded that the entire community stop. And in that case, all of the men of Flushing, the English men of Flushing, signed a document to Peter Stuyvesant saying, you're telling us we can only worship in one way. Our consciences and the Almighty dispute that. And we cannot turn against any man for the way he worships, but we must welcome the men. So if there's anything that sets the tone for the borough of Queens today, it goes back to the Flushing Remonstrance and John Bowne asserting that principle of religious independence, freedom of conscience, and I think that persists into the present, or should. Mm. Well, the Flushing Remonstrance was uh, probably the first uh, document guaranteeing uh, or demanding religious liberty in the New World. Um, uh, I don't remember if um, the Mayflower Compact had anything to do with religion. Was, was that just an agreement to have people you know, agree to, <laughs> uh, to self-govern themselves in a respectable way? I don't know if there was any religion. Well, the, uh, the, uh, the Puritans who uh, settled New England were not, <laughs> didn't believe in a, a, a ton of religious freedom if you didn't worship the way they did. Um, and then, of course, we have the Flushing Meeting House, which dates to around the same time, and that's still... Is 1690s, there. that is still an active meeting, uh, Quaker meeting, uh, and they open their home to anyone who wants to join the meeting. And uh, a couple of times a year, they open it just to the general public. I've passed it a couple of times on Northern Boulevard, but I have not been in. I would like to do that sometime. And then the English take over New Netherland in 1664. Uh, it goes back to the Dutch briefly for a year or two in the 1670s. And uh, the place becomes uh, uh, part of uh, uh, Greater Britain. Well, England at first. Uh, what is the Kingsland Homestead? It's an 18th century home that had been a uh, merchant's house, and it was slated for destruction. And the old Flushingites in the 1960s said, we can't allow this 18th century farmhouse to be destroyed. So they created the Kingsland Homestead Society, and they moved the house from there to a park in downtown Flushing, and it became the home of the Queen's Historical Society. And you can still go and see it, obviously. Yes, yes. yes. Um, like much of New York, the area around Flushing had some notable history during the American Revolution. Um, Nathan Hale was captured near, near Flushing. But he was hanged in Manhattan. In Manhattan, yes, uh, near the Yale Club. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe they think uh, that. So a plaque says on the Yale Club. I don't that, you know. I, I, I can't vouch for that. I wasn't there at the time. Um, there was a lot of development uh, in Flushing uh, in the 19th century. The village was uh, Flushing was was formed as an incorporated village within the town of Flushing. Um, for our listeners who may not know all the nuances, what what was the difference in New York? when uh, a place actually got incorporated as a village? What, how did that change the way it was self-government at the time, uh, the way uh, a place was, was, was governed and run? What you have is uh, you have the county of Queens, and within the county of Queens you have the town of Newtown, the town of Jamaica, the town of Flushing. Also the towns of Nassau County were part of Queens, but uh, they were cut out in 1898. These three towns each had a village center, and the village center was the urbanized core. Urbanized used very loosely, it's really a small town, but that's where the merchants were, and it's a kind of density and a kind of self-government where certain things are permitted within the village which are not permitted in the agrarian uh, uh, province behind. Mm. 
and flushing was incorporated, I think, in the 1830s. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with historian and author Jeff Kressler. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back to Rediscovering New York in our show today on Flushing Queens. My first guest is Jeffrey Kressler, who's an associate professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Uh, Jeff, what uh, are the latest projects that, that you've worked on historically that you're uh, excited about? Uh, I did a piece about the uh, impact of the city's fiscal crisis on the Queensboro Public Library. The short answer is it wasn't good. Uh, it was, they were down to two and a half days a week, the library branches were open. So it was, it's, it's a very interesting and instructive story. Hmm. If people wanted to uh, look at some of the work that you've done, what's, what's the best way that they can find it online and to contact you? Uh, if you, they can go to the uh, John Jay College Library homepage and click on something called Academic Works, and clicking that, entering my name, and you will get whatever I've written and have put up there. The, o- the other way to do it is just look at the uh, library page for the Queensboro, the uh, John Jay College Library, and you can find me that way. Oh, okay, great. Um, moving into Flushing in the 19th century, one of the things that I found interesting about the place is that it was home to what today we would call green businesses, there were horticultural establishments and greenhouses. Some of them even supplied plants uh, to the then city of New York, which was across the East River when Central Park uh, got developed. It is absolutely a fascinating history that Flushing, Queens was the nursery center of America. They would ship fruit trees to New Orleans and across the United States. Uh, and if I, I've looked at their catalog from the... Uh, early 19th century, and there would be eight varieties of nectarine trees, 14 peach trees, unknown numbers of apple trees. I'm like, I don't know there are that many peach trees that you can have. Uh, One interesting remnant, if you want to see what's left, everything is gone except you can go into Casina Park, and there's a section of Casina Park which had been the Parsons Nursery as in Parsons Avenue. Uh, The Parsons Nursery, if you walk through Casina Park, you'll come to a section where suddenly all the trees are in a row and there are a lot of different varieties and it's that remnant that is still there. Well, Flushing has a bit of a storied place in education history. You talked about the library before. It's got one of the oldest public library systems in the city. The uh, Queensboro Public Library dates 
1896. But that was outgrew out, out of the Long Island City Public Library. And there had been a lot of smaller private libraries. Flushing had one of those. And when the Queensboro Public Library was created, it absorbed a lot of these little libraries one by one. And that's when you had modern library services coming to uh, the residents. Mm. And I also say that uh, Jeff is also a librarian at John Jay College. Um, also, uh, Flushing has a notable place in education history. The first free public high school in what's now the entire city was established there. And also, the people of Flushing, given their Quaker background, were very concerned with colored schools. They, had, they funded and they supported schools for the black residents of Flushing at a time when there was segregation. And they, it wasn't normal for uh, blacks and whites to be in school together, but the people of Flushing made sure that there were quality schools for their black neighbors. Wow. Uh, keeping very much in spirit of the Quaker traditions of... Very uh, much so, and it was also a very hot uh, abolition stronghold. Wow. Um, well, Flushing was its own town and township and one of the five in Queens until Greater New York City came into being with the consolidation of 1898. Um, and I might add that the citizens of Flushing voted against the consolidation, actually. And they uh, knew at the time it didn't matter. Uh, Number one, the vote was simply, what do you think? It's a matter of preference opinion. It had no legal standing whatsoever. But at the same time, the people of Flushing realized we're going to be outvoted by everybody. It doesn't matter what we say. But they saw a value in the kind of suburban, small-town, rural environment that they had created, and they wanted to maintain that. Which would not have, obviously, which would change once they became part of Greater New York. Absolutely. Almost a, uh, like a century-old, uh, or a century-later uh, uh, juxtaposition of the kind of agrarian society that uh, the Jeffersonian Democrats wanted versus uh, the Hamilton's uh, supporters who saw more of a future of industry and, and financial development. Um, how did Flushing change in the years immediately following the consolidation into Greater New York? The city of New York wanted to grow. The city of New York, meaning Manhattan, was intensely congested. Uh, the Lower East Side was the most congested point, place on the planet. And the policy was they needed to spread out the population. And they looked to Queens and see all of these farms, all of this vacant land, all of this low-density res residential neighborhoods. And the city of New York made it an active policy to develop, to create new housing out in Queens. And with that, they built the subway line, the dual system the BMT and the IRT, and they sent it out first to Corona, and then by 1921 it reached downtown Flushing. Once it reaches downtown Flushing, then you have this new boom of construction for apartment buildings and, the, and office buildings. It urbanizes, and it loses some of that isolated flavor. Hmm. Did, going about 10 years before, did the opening of Pennsylvania Station and the construction of the East River Rail Tunnels uh, and the establishment of the Port Washington Line and the Long Island Railroad, did that uh, uh, spur any kind of development in, in Flushing? There had, there had been a railroad to Flushing and beyond since the mid-19th century. It had been a, a community served by the railroad as inefficient as it was, people would take the uh, railroad from Flushing to downtown Long Island City, get off, get on a ferry, get to Manhattan, get on a trolley, and get to where they're going. It's cumbersome. Uh, 1910, the Pennsylvania Railroad opens Pennsylvania Station, and then you can go directly into the heart of Manhattan from Flushing, and, that, and also other parts of Queens, and that generates some intense construction, but not as much as the subway. Oh, okay. Well, Flushing also has a history in the American film industry before it moved out to Hollywood. Queens was Hollywood before Hollywood was Hollywood. You have uh, studios in Astoria, and they need places to shoot. And Queens had wide open spaces. Uh, you could get almost any kind of landscape you wanted from the seaside to a prairie, and there off they went. 
Uh, Flushing also has an old airstrip, doesn't it? An old airport, which now has been closed for decades and decades. Uh, I think the runway is still out there. Um, One side of Flushing, Flushing Meadows Park, was the site of not one but two World's Fairs, the remnants of which you still can see. I remember the one in 64, not the one in 1939. What did the 1939 World's Fair, did that impact all the development in Flushing? Well, going before the 39 World's Fair, what was there? Uh, during that first era, the first two eras of Queen's, of Flushing's history that I mentioned, it was a tidal estuary. It was a wetland. And it wildlife, wetland, saltwater rushing in with the tide, rushing out with the tide, went like that for millennia. And it was an impediment to communication. How do you get across this wetland? And there was only one road, and then the railroad came through. Uh, In the early 20th century, they decided, wouldn't this be a great place to put our garbage? So they began a massive landfill of Flushing Meadow, uh, usually ashes. We forget that we cooked and we heated our, our homes with coal. Coal and wood burns down, not to nothing, but to ash. What do you do with the ash? And so it's carted away, even on special railroad cars, out to Flushing Meadow, and then dumped into the fill until it got to be more than ash. It just got to be all the garbage with all the smells and rats as big as, uh, as so big you could put saddles on them, so, that, so wow. to speak. <laughs> uh, and so what you have is this, uh, as... F. Scott Fitzgerald puts it in The Great Gatsby famously, the Valley of Ashes, and it's this American landscape of mythic proportions. Robert Moses was given the chance to uh, do the World's Fair, and he did the World's Fair not because he liked the World's Fair, but he said, my God, I can get a park out of this. The feds will get the money. They'll put it into the infrastructure. City of New York gets the park I wanted. Bingo. And so you end up with the World's Fair creating the infrastructure, but then afterwards it's ready-made for a park. Mm. And it's still there to this day. And also the Queen's Museum is in Flushing Meadows Park. Of course, you have the, uh, uh, the tennis center there as well on one side. Um, we ta- in the couple of minutes we have left, let's talk about the recent development of Flushing. You mentioned the uh, big reform in uh, immigration, which happened, I think, in 1966, which uh, was 65, which Lyndon Johnson, uh, I love saying this, uh, signed at the foot of the Statue of Liberty, uh, which uh, uh, basically uh, uh, took away the exclusions of the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1880s and also the the bill, the the law from, I think, 1924 that, that severely limited immigration from certain countries. Where uh, have the most recent immigrants from Flushing, into Flushing, come from around the world? Well, when I say China, I don't know whether I mean a specific province of China or Taiwan or Hong Kong or it's just a large Chinese-speaking population of many dialects, a Korean population, and a South Asian population. So you've got this new uh, cultural mix for American-Americans, if I could use that phrase, it's all Asian. But when you get out there, there are so many varieties. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea was that Queens now it has more foreign-born residents by far. Something like 45% of the residents of Queens are foreign-born, whereas Brooklyn is like 33 or 35 or something. Manhattan, far below that. So what you have is this characteristic of Queens, and Flushing embodies that. Uh, down the road from Flushing, a couple of subway stops before, you have the, the South American and Central American worlds coalescing. Uh, so you've got really the world on the seven train. Mm. Wow. Um, how do you see the future of Flushing? Have you thought about how Flushing is going to grow into the 21st century and how it may change? I just hope that the long and very important history of Flushing is not erased in the current rush of new construction because there is very little except the zoning code to hold, to protect 
the historic character of Flushing, by which I don't mean save everything. I just mean when you go through Flushing today, you can experience each of those four areas, those four periods of Flushing as, as you walk by. You can see the Dutch. You can see the colonial era. You can see the suburban homes. You can see the early 20th century development. And now, of course, you experience the 21st century city. Mm. And thank goodness for New York City's landmark laws that keep uh, the most uh, important, or those that have been designated landmarks, intact for future generations. Uh, thank you. Our first guest has been Dr. Jeffrey Kessler on the faculty of John Jay College of Criminal Justice, who's been enlightening and illuminating us as to, to the history of a part of New York that a lot of New Yorkers don't know about and know the, the impact that it had on the future of the city. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being on Rediscovering New York. Thank you. When we come back, we're going to speak with the second guest, uh, who is an architect and who has been doing some work in Flushing, and also it's the home to her business. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you stuck in a rut? Negative thoughts, feelings, and conversations got you down? Hi, I'm Noreen Sumter, The Potentiator. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time and listen for new ideas on my show, Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way, on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back. Support for Rediscovering New York comes from our sponsors. The Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage. For assistance in any kind of residential mortgage, Mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735. And support also comes from the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached at 212 495 0317. Our show is about New York, especially its neighborhoods and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York, this one specifically about the business of real estate. It's called Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear it on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I know it's original. And also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Jeff Goodman NYC is my handle. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, Jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One other note before we get to our second guest, even though this is not a show about the real estate business in New York, I am a real estate agent in our amazing city. I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all your real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is an architect, Ning Lu. 
Uh, Ning holds professional architectural degrees from both China and the United States. She studied at Chejiang University in China, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and earned a master's degree from Harvard University, the Graduate School of Design. Her prior experience includes working at the Beijing Institute of Architectural Design and Research. Ms. Liu's projects have included the development of luxury condominiums and hospitality projects. She's contributed to the addition of an aggregate of several million square feet of new developments to New York skyline. That's a lot of square footage and a lot of building. Prior to founding Luning Architecture, Ms. Liu was a senior designer and project manager at, S project manager at SLCE Architects, which specializes in carrying through projects from mid to high-rise residential and hotel towers and complexes. Aside from her architectural practice, Ning also teaches aspiring architects. She's an adjunct professor at Baruch College's Real Estate Institute. Among other topics, she's taught zoning and land use in New York City since 2011. She also serves as director on the board for the Downtown Flushing Transit Hub Business Improvement District, that's a BID, and the Chinese Business Association of New York. Ning Lu, welcome to Rediscovering New York. Thank you. Well, you're not from New York originally. Uh, before we get to speaking about Flushing a little bit on uh, your engagement and work in the neighborhood, let's talk about your background. Where in China are you from? I was born in Wenzhou and moved to Hangzhou when I was 13. Wenzhou is a city with a lot of entrepreneurs and is famous for business and its bonded community. And Hangzhou is a city that boasts its rich history and beautiful sceneries as one of the old capitals in China. The culture of these two cities have the equal influence in my life. Mm. Was there any defining moment that had you decide that you wanted to go into the field of architecture? Or had you always, like uh, Jeff, did you know from the time you were born that you wanted to be an historian, <laughs> you wanted to be an architect? So um, I, have, I have always been fascinated by the form of the space since I was a little kid. Uh, my family also has a big impact uh, to how I chose architecture. My father is an art historian and art museum director. My mom um, is a Tai Chi master, and my brother is an artist. Growing up, my home always had plenty of art and architecture books, and at the dinner table, there has always been talks about art and architecture. So um, when I was a little kid, I liked to sit on the second floor of a courtyard house looking up. In China, there's courtyard, that's a traditional form of architecture. Um, then you could see a square sky with white clouds floating. And also I like to listen to the sound of the rain on the rainy days. I believe the space has a mood and the buildings have emotions. I painted when I was young, but since my brother is an artist and a paint, and, and painter especially, he would criticize my paintings and then did not believe that I could be an artist. I was also very good at physics in high school, so when it comes to choosing a subject to study for college, it came natural that architecture is a combination of art and science that is interesting to pursue. Mm. Well, architecture certainly is, is, is artistic, and um, many architects uh, also have artistic pursuits outside of the creation of structures and buildings. When did you come to the United States? Um, I came to the U.S. in 2001, um, just a few weeks before the 911. Wow. Yeah. What yeah. a time to come to New York. That's uh, right, yeah. And I've been here for the last 18 years. Hmm. Well, obviously, you love our city because uh, even the horrific events of 9-11 didn't, didn't have you uh, pick up and run. Mm -hmm. um, how did you decide to start your own firm rather than continuing to work for other companies? I, you know, I know that architecture, I've known architects in my life. It's a very challenging field to start generating your own clients in. Uh, when you work for another, uh, when you work for a firm, and someone else is uh, making the rain, is generating the business, and uh, you do some of the work. But it's a, it's, a very it's a big challenge to start your own firm and to get your own clients. When did you decide in, in your career that you wanted to do that? Um, 
As I mentioned, I was born in a place in China that are known to be hard workers and entrepreneurs. Uh, most of Chinese supermarket in New York is actually uh, are operated by people from that region. Um, I was at that time a senior designer and project manager at the SLCE. I love what I do, and they work very hard. As in any other jobs, the more work you do, the more responsibilities you get. And by year five, I'm working overtimes and in the weekends. Um, and, and I also start to see a lot of company politics and the glass ceilings. Um, I felt it was a time for me to move on and learn other aspects in the field of architecture. So I thanked my mentor at the company and I submitted my res resignation letter. And you started your and you started uh, learning architecture right after that. That's right. Um, before we we talk a little bit about flushing and about your being in the neighborhood, some of the projects you work, I have to ask you, um, what were some of the favorite architectural projects that you've worked on, uh, especially given given the art in your soul? Uh, one of my current projects probably um, is the largest development in downtown Flushing that's currently under construction right now. It is called Flushing Point Plaza and is located near the Seven Train as you come into Flushing. The project is about 700,000 square foot, comprised of three towers. One is a dual brand hotel, Crown Plaza and State Bridge with 530 rooms. Wow. And the other two towers are luxury residential condominium buildings. The best part of this project is that the site, the construction site, is 10 minutes away from my office. We have weekly construction meetings, and I drive past the construction site every day where I can see how the progress of the construction goes. This is really exciting. Um, in Flushing, I also uh, work on a few mixed-use buildings, and we are also working on the Sinovision Television Studio, um, which is um, located in Flushing, and also I'm working on a Buddhist temple. So the variety project is really um, very um, fulfilling for my, me and my firm. Wow, that's pretty big variety, a Buddhist temple and also the biggest tower project to date in Flushing. When did you open your office in Flushing, Ning, and what had you decide to locate your office in Flushing? Of all the places you could have in New York City, what, what drew you to Flushing? So I opened my office in Flushing in 2010, beginning of 2010. And uh, the reason is there are many Chinese developers here that loves Flushing. To take advantage of my ethnic contacts and bilingual ability, Flushing uh, seemed to be the best choice to start. Hmm. How did you get involved with the downtown Flushing Transit Hub Business Improvement District? And I say that in all one breath, the BID. How did you, how, how did you become engaged in the work with the, with the BID? Um, it, it was actually through one of my uh, friends and clients uh, who recommended me to participate so that I can contribute my professional knowledge to the BID. Mm. What, has, what has the experience been like for you to, to work with the local BID as an architect? I am really privileged to have the opportunity to give back to the community by offering my opinions to the BID during its board and committee meetings. I had taught zoning and land use in New York City at Baruch College and have been attending the department building industry meetings for design professionals in the last 10 years. So I'm very familiar with local zoning and building regulations, which I could um, raise it up when there are issues discussed about. Mm. Well, okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Flushing architect Ning Lu. We'll be back in a moment. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Hi, 
I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com We're back. You're back to Rediscovering New York in our episode on Flushing. And our second guest, uh, Flushing architect Ning Lu, who is the founder and CEO of Lu Ning Architecture. Uh, if someone wanted to see some of the examples of your work, Ning, how could they do that? How can they find it online? Um, my website is uh, www.luningarch.com. Um, Luning Arch, A-R-C-H, short yes, for architecture. Yes, L-U-N-I-N-G-A-R-C-H. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they can see examples of your work there. That's right. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's your contact information? Um, We are located right in um, the downtown Flushing, um, the Queens Crossing building. And you could also uh, call our office at 718-395-8637. Thank you. Um, Moving back to Flushing, um, describe the vibe of Flushing as a neighborhood. What is it that you like about it? I'm assuming you like it since your, your office is there and you're building, you're becoming part of the future, uh, uh, the future of Flushing. What do, you, what do you like about Flushing? What excites you about the neighborhood? Uh, Flushing is full of life. The stores, the restaurants, people from the Asian community go to Flushing just for that. The food, the shop, and all kinds of services. Of course, I love Chinese food too. It's very authentic over there. To be honest, Chinese love to do meaningful work, and I've been lucky to have a growing business that are making impact to the local community. That's really what's exciting me about. You've been in Flushing since 2010, you said, uh, yes. your, your business. Uh, do you think the neighborhood has changed since you opened your practice in Flushing? Yes. The changes I have noticed is that a lot of high-end Chinese food trains, brand new restaurants are moving into downtown Flushing. There are a lot more medical centers. The streets are a lot cleaner. With a a new mixed-use skyscrapers going up in downtown Flushing, more people are living here now, while it used to be mostly commercial. And you've seen those changes already happening with the the advent of of bigger buildings and um, is there, are, are there more businesses there now? Have, have, are there more offices than there were several years ago? There are more offices too, yes. Oh, okay. Is there anything that you feel that makes Flushing unique as a New York City neighborhood? The geographic location of easy access and the mobility with transit system that connects to Long Island, Queens, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, that makes Flushing a transit hub. Also, in Flushing, you have the Flushing Library, where you can find most of the Chinese literatures in New York, uh, where in the other part of New York, you actually go into a library, you couldn't find a Chinese book. And also the Queens... Well, not even, not even in Chinatown in, New, in, in Manhattan, uh, which is, is the oldest Chinatown in, in the city? Yes, Chinatown wow. some, but not, but not, but not as much as in Flushing. Much, yes. Oh, wow, okay, Correct. I didn't know that. So, and then there's Queens Botanical Garden around. There's a lot of resource. Also different from Chinatown, Flushing is bigger, cleaner, 
and for whatever reason, the the food in Flushing um, is is very fresh. And when you enter Flushing, um, the Chinese character identifies this is a, a, a China. So it's it's really a lot of my Chinese friends feel like this is the home. Um, and um, and 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 just food, supermarkets, shops, the people put all those things together. I think that's the uniqueness of Flushing. Of course, it, you have a lot of Mandarin-speaking people who move to Flushing. I, I don't speak any dialect of Chinese, but I can tell the difference between when I hear Mandarin and when I hear Cantonese, and they are very, they are very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, as a business owner and someone who has a business practice in Flushing, is there anything that you struggle with in Flushing? Um, the traffic. Um, the more active the life of Flushing is, the more traffic it brings. And that also brings the, um, the parking. So the lack of parking, lack of affordable parking um, in Flushing um, also prevent more clients coming into the city, into this center. The city has tried to divert traffic away from the main street, but those changes has caused traffic in other parts of Flushing, and there are many one-way and no-turn signs that new people driving into Flushing would not notice and can get disoriented. Mm. Is, is the traffic issues one of the things that, that you advise on or work with in the Business Improvement District? Is that That's right. Uh, uh, well, that's always a challenge, especially as, some, as a place becomes more economically vibrant there's always going to be a lot more traffic. Mm-hmm. And how you deal with that uh, and enable people to move around quickly is certainly a big challenge. Um, as someone who, who operates your business from Flushing professionally, is there anything you wish that was in the neighborhood now but that wasn't? And that might be a hint for someone to open up a particular kind of business if uh, the architect who's helping to, to uh, uh, shape the future landscape has said, we, you know, we really could use this kind of business or that kind of business. For me, flushing is everything. So then there's nothing you wish was in the neighborhood (laughs) that wasn't. Okay. (laughs) Um, How do you see flushing developing in the future? 10, 15 years from now, if you have in your your architect's crystal balling, what do you you see? What kind of flushing do you see? Would it be any different from the flushing that, that exists right now? Uh, Flushing is flourishing. Um, As you know, I'm working on this big complex, and with other major projects coming up, the more people are moving into Flushing, so I see Flushing becoming even a more important part of the city. And of course, as an architect who does projects locally, you're helping to to shape the look and feel of it. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice that you might have as someone who's, who's operated a business in the neighborhood for almost 10 years and who uh, uh, plays an active role in the BID, in the Business Improvement District, is there any advice that you might have for someone who's looking to open up a business or professional practice in the neighborhood? So in Flushing, the community is very tight. This is a small world. Everyone, for example, everyone on my floor would talk to me, and we're all friends, and send business to each other. I have two clients on my floor, ninth floor, on the Queen's Crossing building, and my structure engineer is upstairs on the 10th floor, and and the GC, general contractor, are upstairs in the same building as well. In this community, everything we do travels, and we, we have to treat every case with care. And for new person starting a business, I think, my advice is it takes a while for the community to get to know you and to trust you in the beginning. So be patient and, um, and it will become, uh, it will grow. Hmm. Sound advice, sound advice. Um, how long have you been active in the Chinese Business Association? Is it based in Flushing, by the way, the Chinese Business Association? Yes, it is. And h- how long have you been active with it, and what brought you to, to, to become active in the association? So the association, I've been with them for four to five years, and that was brought in by um, another uh, friend, which is actually my structure engineer. It is a really good place for friendship and mentorship for doing business. Um, so that's really um, what I have found out. So I recommend other business owners to join Chinese Business Association as well. Uh, uh, 
Well, thank you. Um, we're out of time. Uh, Ning Lu, thank you so much for being on Rediscovering New York. Uh, our second guest has been Ning Lu, Flushing Architect. Uh, she's the founder and CEO of Lu Ning Architecture. Her business is not only based in Flushing, she's also actively involved in helping to shape the future look and feel and the style of Flushing. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. We've just finished this week's journey to Flushing in Queens. If you have comments or questions about the show or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, uh, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jeffgoodmannyc. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategists at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I are dedicated to our clients and come to our work with passion, as well as the best expertise in New York City real estate. You can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Stay tuned at 8 p.m. right here on talkradio.nyc for Beyond Potential, Live Life Your Way with Noreen Sumter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network.